unite our hearts in reverent fear of you and satisfy our hearts in your steadfast love. We ask and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 91, if we're honest, think as we were reading that, the tempt to think it just sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? <laughs> it almost reminds me of um, uh, a manifesto a political party might bring out in the run-up to an election. And you read these promises, they, they say they'll do it if they're elected. And you think, nay danger, is that going to happen? Now, I wonder if you have the same response as you read this psalm. You think, it sounds too good to be true. Nay danger, is this going to happen to me? You see, we read this and we know, don't we, that Christians get cancer. Christians fight anxiety. For, for some of us, the thought of being left alone every night to our thoughts, it just seems like torture. So what are these promises then in the psalm? Is it just exaggeration? Poetic license? One of the guys in our launch team in Charleston, Owen, he was on his, on his deathbed. A few years ago, he was he was waiting on a liver transplant. By God's grace, he got one. He's he's uh, he's doing well, walking with the Lord, loving the Lord. And for him, on his deathbed, Psalm ninety-one meant everything to him. But how could that be when we read we read through it? No harm will overtake you. Well, what does that mean? Look at verse 6, nor the, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the plague that destroys at midday. Here's a guy on his deathbed because of sickness. How, how did this psalm possibly help him? Is this psalm like, like some sort of spiritual spinach from Popeye? You know, you're, you're feeling fearful, you crack open the tin of spinach, you read the psalm, so to speak, and, and that's it, you're fine, you have no fear, you're able to carry on with whatever comes your way. Well, of course we know that's not right. See, for all of us, disaster will come. Harm will come, disease will come, terrors will come. In order for us to understand this psalm, what I think we need to do is to look at the psalm through the, through, through the lenses of Jesus. See, these, these promises begin to make sense when we look at them through the lens of Jesus. And when we do that, we will see why Owen Charleston was able to sing this on his deathbed and mean every single word of it. So two points for us this evening. First off, a song for King Jesus. Secondly, promises for his people. A song for King Jesus, promises for his people. Let's look at first point, a song for King Jesus. Now, why do I say that? Well, in the psalm, just look in verse three, how often you see the word you. He will save you. He will cover you. You will not fear. The thing is, throughout the psalm, this, this you, it's, it, it's singular. So who is the individual then that the psalm is talking about? Who's this individual who's going to receive these promises? Well, like a good 
maths textbook at school, you, you flick to the back to see the answer. And let's do that now. Let's turn to verse 14 of the psalm. <clears throat> Sorry, pardon me. I've got a bit of a cold just now. First cold in a year, I think. So forgive me if my, if my voice cracks a bit. Anyway, verse 14. Look at verse 14 where it says, the Lord says, it's the one who loves me. The one who calls on my name. Here is someone who clings to God wholeheartedly, who honours God, who God says to this person, his promises will be fulfilled. To this person, I will rescue. So who is this person who fulfills this criteria? Perhaps in your Bible, like mine, you've got a footnote as well at verse 14 that says at the bottom, that is probably the king. I, th I think it's spot on that the you here that they're talking about is, is the king, God's king. There's language in the psalm that, that echoes language used by David. There's, there's warlike language in the psalm that, that, that's usually applied to the king. And in theory, the king trusts God, knows God, follows God and his law. You see, verse 14 should describe God's king. Well, we read the, the Old Testament and see how, fell, uh, how far they fell short of that. But when we come to the New Testament, the psalm is picked up on again. And we see even clearer who is the recipient of the psalm. With the help of that, we turn to, I guess you could argue, a, a master expositor, the devil. The devil is the, the great deceiver, but that doesn't mean he's clueless when it comes to scripture. I'm going to keep a finger in Psalm 91 and turn ahead to Luke chapter 4. And let me read for us where Jesus has been tempted by Satan. Let me read for us from verse 9 of Luke chapter 4. It says this, the devil led him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, question. What did Satan call Jesus here? Did you notice that at the start? If you are the son of God. Now that's a, a messianic title. Satan here isn't referring to Jesus, I don't think, as, as the eternal son of God. Instead, he's using the, the messianic title of God's promised king, like, like elsewhere in the Psalms. Why is he doing that here? How, how do you know that? Well, because of what Satan goes on to quote. He goes on to quote Psalm 91, a psalm for God's king. And Satan says here to Jesus, doesn't he, that if you are the son of God, that is, if you are God's king, then Psalm 91 is for you, Jesus. And he's right. Jesus doesn't tell him that he's wrong here. Let's follow Satan's logic. He says, if you are God's king, then Psalm 91 is yours, Jesus. So jump off this building and the angels will catch you so no harm comes to you. 
God wouldn't let harm come to his king. He's promised that in Psalm 91. Well, Satan might be spot on and Psalm 91 is for God's king, but he's wrong in how he uses a psalm. See, Satan reads this to, to Jesus and says, don't go to the cross. If God really loved you, he wouldn't let you suffer. Look at his promises to you in Psalm 91. That's a temptation for Jesus. Don't go the way of the cross. Go the way of comfort and enjoy these promises now. Let's have a look at what these promises are for Jesus in the psalm. Turn back to Psalm 91 then. Our, uh, our car insurance needed renewed recently. Um, and if you can afford it, you don't go third party fire and theft, do you? You go fully comp, fully comprehensive. That's what these promises are here. They are fully comp, all encompassing, nearly every situation that life could throw at you. Look at the language of what, of what Jesus will receive from God, the language of, of, of shelter, shadow in verse 1. God will be his, his refuge, his, his fortress in verse 2. Look in verse 3 at some of the threats the king will face. The fowler's snare, that's you know, hidden sneaky threats, traps laid by enemies. Deadly pestilence, sickness that, that risks overcoming him. And didn't Jesus face that? The Pharisees and the scribes seeking to lay trips, their traps for him. The ill, the sick coming to Jesus. Yet God covered him, protected him. God's faithfulness to his king will be his shield and rampart. Look at verses 5 and 6. Notice the, the language of night and day and then the, the darkness of midday. He's saying that in the, the stillness of the darkest night or the brightness of sunny midday, the king need not fear. And look at the things that, are, that could cause him to fear. People firing arrows at you. A plague like sickness, which... I guess we can relate to terrors at night. All of these you need not fear, God says to his king. Psalmist goes on to describe God's judgments. The, the wicked will fall, evil will be defeated, and you will see it all. You will see your enemies fall. And Jesus did. The image continues, doesn't it? Verses 10 onwards, the, the angels will be like the king's security detail. And I guess in one sense they were for Jesus, weren't they? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died on the cross. In verse 13, you will trample the lion and the serpent, God says to his king. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think when we get this, it helps us really unlock the psalm. See, the psalm, it, it finds its fulfillment in the death and resurrection of Jesus and his return. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus faced traps for his enemies and he evaded them all. God fulfilled that promise. That is until it's time for him to be handed over to die on a cross. Jesus in the gospel, like Jesus is amazing. But you read the gospels and he's just unfazed by things. 
He meets a legion of demons unfazed. There's this massive storm unfazed. That is, until the night before he was due to die on the cross. Jesus' enemies, they, they did fall. Because on the cross, he defeated Satan, the serpent, an image for the devil. Jesus crushed his head as he died on the cross. You see, Jesus is the one who, verse 14, has truly loved God. He has always trusted God. He was always in his favour. He, he always put his refuge in God. See, verses 14 to 16, it's, it's eight promises from God to his king. And, and did God keep his word in them? Well, at first glance, it doesn't seem like it, does it? Because he died. You see, the harm that came to Jesus wasn't lasting. In fact, it was in his harm that Jesus trampled the serpent's head and God did rescue him. Jesus rose from the dead. See, all these promises we see in verses 14 to 16 come after the resurrection. He gets these things after the resurrection. That's when Psalm 91 is fulfilled. After the cross and resurrection, not before, as Satan tempted Jesus to do. You see, look down from verse 14 where we see these eight promises and hear God himself speaking these. It says verse 14, because the king clings to me in love, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. The king, he'll call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honour him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. See, God did come through. He did answer these promises, but it was on the far side of resurrection. See, Jesus was rescued. He was rescued from death. He was always protected from its grip. Jesus is forever with the Father. He will always answer him. Jesus was delivered from death, raised to life, ascended into heaven, and he's been honoured. Honoured with a name above every other name. He has life eternal. See, Jesus is the one who is truly the recipients of these promises, because he is the one who truly loves the Father at all times, through all things. He is the one who is truly faithful to him. See, when our, when our fears scream at us in our face or, or, or eat us from the inside out, we can be tempted to think, if God really loves me, then he won't let me suffer. After all, that's what Psalm 91 says. See, Psalm 91, first and foremost, isn't a promise for you and I. It's a promise for Jesus. And it's a promise which he didn't receive straight away, but said after his resurrection. See, we, we don't deserve these promises. We aren't always faithful. We're fitful and failing at times. We don't qualify for them. 
it's the amazing thing because Jesus went to the cross, bore the, the punishment of the wicked, bore our punishment. That when we repent of our sin, when we put our trust in Jesus, then the psalm becomes yours. The psalm becomes mine. It means that these incredible promises become ours. So my friend Owen on his deathbed, he was completely right to read, to sing, to pray Psalm 91. Because in Christ, these promises are his. We've looked at how this is a song for King Jesus. Now let's turn and look at some of these promises for his people. I've been reading a book called um, Rejoice and Tremble by Mike Reeves, and he makes this fascinating observation. I think he's right here. He says that never in a society have we been more safe, and yet never have we been more afraid. When I asked on Facebook what people feared, there was one thing that didn't come up, which should really, really have come up. See, if we don't know Jesus, we should be terrified that Satan has a hold of us, terrified that we have an eternal judgment waiting us, terrified that God is going to pour out his wrath upon us for all the wrong things that we do. And the fear of those things should eclipse every other fear that we have. But because of Jesus, we, we don't need to fear those things anymore. But that doesn't mean that fear is completely removed from our lives. We find that for whatever reason God does, sometimes he leads us to a place of helplessness when we are forced to realise that when we see that all we have is him, we realise that we have all we need. Let's see how the psalmist describes God here. Have a look at verse 1. He's described as the most high. No matter how big your fears are, how much you fear people and what they think, he is greater. He is most high. He's the most high. He's the almighty. No matter how strong your fears are, he is more powerful. He is stronger. He's the most high. He's the almighty. He's the Lord in capitals, the covenant God, Yahweh. This all great, all powerful God is the God who makes promises and keeps them every time. He is the God who knows his people, who dwells with his people. He is the God who will never let us down, never let us go, never give us up. Finally, he is my God. This God isn't some distant and different deity. The most high, the almighty, the Lord, he is my God. So what he says to me, what he thinks about me should shape everything in my life. Look at the, the metaphors that accompany these names. Shelter. When life is chaos, there is shelter, protection. Shadow, like the, the wings of an eagle over us, providing rest from the burning sun, a sense of, sense of closeness with him. Refuge, he's a, a place you can run to and know that we are safe. 
fortress. Think Edinburgh Castle on the hill, strong, immovable, protecting everyone inside with, with walls as thick as I am tall. This is my God, and in him I trust. See, just think of that image from verse 4 of being surrounded by God's wings. Think of the mother hen and her, her chicks under her wing. If, if heat is burning down, the mother dies, but the chicks live. If wind is blowing and rain is, is, is pouring, the mother freezes, but the chicks live. If a prayer to come, she dies, but the chicks live. Jesus has taken the judgment. The wrath should have come on us, but he has protected us from us. He has taken it so that we might live. And how do we know that he did that? That he took that punishment in full? Because he rose from the dead. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, we can know that God is not punishing you for your sins. When things come that make you fear, God is not punishing you. Just look at the end of verse 4. His faithfulness, God's faithfulness, not our faithfulness to him, but his faithfulness will be our shield and rampart. And he is always faithful. He will protect you not from harm, but through harm, even through death itself. See, God is, God is with us. God is for us. God has said that he'll be with us to the very end of the age and into the next and one day we'll be, be with them forever. There'll be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more enemies, no more tears, no more fears. So you remember on the, on the cross, Jesus crushed the serpent's head. He defeated the devil. The great lion prowling round, as Peter calls him in his first letter. But like Jesus, these promises in Psalm 91 aren't going to be fulfilled on this side of death. Instead, they help us persevere when we come face to face with death. Because we see in the psalm that God isn't going to keep us from trouble, but he'll keep us through trouble. He doesn't say that no harm will come to you. He says no harm will overtake you. See, this psalm is not a promise that we won't get hurt. It's a promise that ultimately we won't be harmed. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you are never condemned, never separated, because God is for you. So because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, when we trust in him, he looks at you. And he says, look down at verse 14, he says this to you, he says, because he loves me, because she loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. I, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. These amazing promises for us. So what do we do with these promises in the psalm that we have in Christ? Well, three things, I think. First off, know 
Know with confidence that God Most High is greater than any fear, and in him alone there is safety. This psalm reminds us to take our eyes off ourselves and to lift us up the great promises to come in Christ. Know who God is. Second, this psalm raises our affections and reminds us of God's amazing grace to us in Christ. We don't deserve these promises, but they're ours. It should stir up love in our hearts for Christ and all that he has given us in his grace. But if you're listening and you aren't a Christian, these promises aren't yours. You should be scared of the judgment to come. So trust in Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in him. First off, know who God is. Remember who he is. Secondly, have your affections raised to Christ and what he's done for us and what we have in him. And third, I think this psalm should should drive us to to radical missionary endeavours. Now, what do I mean by that? Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book called The Shadow of the Almighty, of course, taking its title from verse one of the psalm. Perhaps you've read the book. It's a book about her husband, Jim Elliot, um, and four other men who on the 8th of January in 1956 tried to take the gospel to an, uh, an Ecuadorian tribe for the very first time, and they were killed. If you call a story of missionary martyrdom the shadow of the Almighty, I think you're saying something about Psalm 91. You are saying this psalm does not mean that difficult things won't happen to Christians. You are saying even death may come in the service of Jesus Christ, and yet through that you remain in the shadow of the Almighty. God remains with you. See, Jesus says something similar. In Luke's Gospel, he's teaching his disciples in chapter 21, and he says this from verse 16, he says, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Some of you will die, Jesus says, but not a hair of your head will perish. See, as we follow Jesus, yes, there are times when we will get hurt. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, Psalm 91 reminds us that ultimately we will not be harmed. So let's take risks for Jesus. Knowing that God is greater than all. Knowing that all that Jesus has done for us. Let's take risks for Jesus. Risks like inviting a work colleague to read John's Gospel with you over your lunch break. Risks like telling your your unbelieving spouse or parents perhaps tonight over tea what you heard at church today. Take risks for the gospel because the shadow of the Almighty is over you. That's why I'm so grateful that you as a church are, are behind church planting. See, we live in a culture of fear and we have the only message of hope and refuge. So let's tell people. Let me close in prayer together. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for these amazing promises in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have in him. Father, sorry for times we become so focused on ourselves, we forget how great you are and all the promises that we have in Christ. Father, for those of us this evening who are suffering, who are fearful, may they know your love for them this evening, that you are for them, that you are with them, even through death itself, you will be there with them and these promises are for them. Are there any here who are, who are doubting their, their salvation in Christ, may they be strengthened this evening at all that they have in him, knowing their sin has been forgiven and his promises are theirs. Father, know that you are the most high, the almighty Knowing all that we've been given in Christ, may you help us be bold with the gospel. Knowing that we live as people in the shadow of the Almighty. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the cross. That's in your name we pray. Amen. My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness. I'll look to him who hears me. Oh, praise him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward. Everlasting, never failing, my redeemer, my soul in God alone amidst the world's temptations when evil seeks to take a hold I'll cling to my salvation though riches come and riches go don't set your heart upon them the fields of in which I sow are harvested in heaven. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward. Everlasting, never failing, my Redeemer, my God. Trust in Him completely. 
with every day pour out my soul and he will prove his mercy though life is but a fleeting breath a sigh too deep to measure my king has crushed the curse of death and i am his forever Well 